Good morning. I think there's a lesson in that children's video for us every week, isn't there? Something for us to take away as well. Earlier, I really appreciated the song that the worship team had chosen um, about blessed be the Lord's name in all situations and all circumstances, that we bless his name, of course, when the sun's shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be. But then the next verse that says, and blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering, and when there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. And so we've experienced both sides of that spectrum as a church family uh, in, in the recent weeks and months, and we think especially this past week of, of Corey and what he's uh, experienced. Uh, he's already had some struggles this winter, and then to hear of, of this accident. If you weren't aware, he, he had a nail from a nail gun that penetrated his left eye this past week, a very serious injury. But uh, we can thank the Lord for, for answered prayer. Um, he's not, definitely not out of the woods yet, but uh, Nancy went to visit him this weekend, and she uh, shared with me that he can see things um, close up. So there is vision there. So that already is a huge answer to prayer, that the eye is not, it's not just dead, that there's some hope there. He can see things, and there's light there. So hopefully... Uh, with with the Lord's help, there will be healing, and we just want to continue to pray for Corey in that. It's also uh, nice to see Anna Dick is in church here, and we continue to lift you up in prayer in your um, ongoing uh, struggles with illness. And we just it's very good to have you here. And we also, of course, remember uh, Della Jansen as she's ongoing with with chemotherapy, and so we want to remember them as they go through these dark times uh, that God is with them there as well. So. Uh, I know that there's other things represented here in our congregation as well as we think of traveling through this life journey together. You know, one of the things that struck me at youth group last night in our prayer time was just the, um, the number of different requ- requests that were given in regards to dealing with, with depression or anxiety and uh, things like that. And, and it's, it's a, a very real thing that it's not, it's not physical, uh, an outward thing that we can put a finger on, but it's very real. When, when people are struggling with these things on the inside and, and they need prayer and, and the Lord's touch just as much as someone going through something physical. And, uh, you know, one of the things that really uh, stands out at this time of year is that we've gone so long now without sun and warmth. You know, there's this thing called the seasonal affective disorder, and I think one way or the other we're all suffering from it. We're just so ready for the sun, so ready for some warmth, and I know that that will go a long ways. Um, in uh, lifting our spirits. But, you know, even in the cold of winter, uh, we know that God is still with us and he walks with us through whatever we deal with and we can always turn to him. It's always great to be reminded of that. So this morning, we want to enter God's word and be encouraged uh, and, and uh, equipped and hopefully we'll be inspired by it this morning. So would you bow with me and let's seek the Lord as we enter his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are sovereign, that you are God above all gods, that even those others in this world who would try to compare themselves to you, you are greater, you are stronger, you are more powerful. There is nothing and no one who can stand against you. And so we just, we just take comfort in knowing, Lord, that you are our God and that you are all-powerful and that you are in control of our lives. Thank you, Lord, that even when difficult things and painful circumstances come our way, that we can even trust that you are there and that you walk with us through difficulties and that through those, Lord, you even shape us and you mold us. And We just thank you for your work in our lives. 
We pray, Lord, that as we enter this word, uh, your word this morning, that you would once again do that work of shaping us, speaking to us. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would anoint this word, Lord, and you would speak through me, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me begin this morning by sharing with you a story of a rookie baseball pitcher. Now, this pitcher had just walked his third straight batter, and of course, this loaded the bases. And so his manager calls a timeout and walks out to the pitcher's mound. Son, he says to the pitcher, placing a hand on his shoulder, I think you're finished for today. But coach, the rookie pitcher protests, my dad always told me to finish what I start. Please let me finish this inning off. And besides, the last time I faced this batter, I struck him out. Well, that's true, agreed the manager, but we're still in the first inning. If you think about it, you'll catch on. (laughs) Now, sometimes we're just a little bit like that rookie pitcher. Have you ever felt like him? Where you want to finish what you've started, but things just aren't going your way. Where there's failure upon failure, and obstacles have forced you to bow out, to finish, before you'd achieved success. Perhaps you had some sort of a goal in mind, something that you'd hoped to maybe build, something you'd hoped to achieve. Perhaps you have some, some ongoing project that still lies unfinished in your life. And I believe that in some way we've probably all encountered these sorts of things in our lives. Let's just uh, open it up here for a little bit and do a quick survey, show of hands here. How many of you here this morning have some sort of unfinished project waiting for you at home right now? Okay, that's pretty good. And for those of you who didn't put up your hands, don't worry, because they'll get to it eventually. I think. <laughs> you see, most of us have some kind of a project going on at all times, some, or some kind of a goal that we're working towards. I remember once uh, when I was a young kid, I remember my uncle once bought this old Pontiac Firebird. It's this, this old muscle car that was almost completely rusted out. But he had the intentions of restoring it, and so he had the, the new fenders that he was going to put into it and all these kinds of things. But let's just say that over the years that followed, I was very happy to have my own real car that I could play in whenever I wanted to. But despite my uncle's and I believe others' best efforts later on, and best intentions, I should say, to restore that old Firebird to its former glory, it always remained unfinished and moved around from various parts of our yard to another, parked here, parked there, in the barn, in the bush, in the shop, and back out again. But over all of those years of best intentions, it always remained unfinished, and I believe that in the end it was sold off for spare parts. Now this is where I want to turn the corner this morning and shift that focus inward upon us as individuals and as a church. Do you ever feel like your Christian life is maybe a little bit like that firebird? A little bit like an unfinished project that you have all of the best intentions of getting at, of of really pushing through to completion, and yet it's just this ongoing thing with no end in sight. Where just when you've made progress in one area of your life, you've just maybe polished off one fender, you notice another five things that still need your attention. Five more things that you previously hadn't noticed. Maybe when an old destructive habit that you thought had been in the past, all of a sudden boomerangs back around and blindsides you in the back of the head. 
You know, these kinds of things can be extremely frustrating. They can, they can cause us to be so demoralized that usually one of two things happens. Either we, we grit our teeth and we redouble our efforts and say, you know what, I'm going to try ten times harder and, and we're going to finish this thing. Or the second thing that can happen is that we just simply give up altogether. You know, as we look at those two approaches that we take to these problems and challenges that we face in life, we would think that redoubling our efforts is the best strategy of the two. And yet, sadly, we realize that both of these approaches are ineffective to bringing about real and permanent change in our lives. And why? Because both of those things are relying on human effort rather than on God. You see, the work of inner transformation, it does not belong to us. It belongs to the Holy Spirit of God. I want you to focus in on our key verse this morning that Rocky read for us earlier from Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Listen to what Paul writes to the church in Philippi. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on into the day of completion until the day of Jesus Christ. That is our key verse for this morning, and I want you to notice a few key things from this passage. Three stages, if you will, on God's work on inner transformation in our lives. The first stage of this transformation is the beginning. The beginning. And God begins his work on us because of love. Now, all great stories have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And I believe the reason for that is that all stories follow God's template of storytelling because the whole grand scheme of history is God's story. And so it begins like this in Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All of creation, the galaxies, the sun, the stars, the moon, the earth, and everything that it contains is God's work. He is the source. He is the cause. He is the beginning of all beginnings. He is the beginner of all things, all life, including our lives, yours and mine. God began it all. And this is why the Bible calls him the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The Alpha being the beginning. And so that means it all belongs to him because he made it all, including us. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 follows in this same theme saying, For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Notice we are His workmanship. We are not our own workmanship. We are not craftsmen of our own lives. God is the craftsman. We are His workmanship. But of course, when God began everything, when He set all of the cosmos and earth and the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve within that garden to take care of it, when He began it all, it was perfect. There was not one blemish, not one flaw. Everything was exactly as God intended it to be. No sin, no pain, no death. But of course, after we messed it all up by disobeying him, my question has always been, why didn't he just give up? Why didn't he just say, this work, this craft project that I've been working on here on planet Earth just hasn't worked out? Why didn't he just hit the reset button and say, you know what, let's start fresh. Let's start with something that's going to work out. Well, if you turn in your Bibles with me, I want to show you a story that answers that question as to why God didn't just start over. Turn with me to Luke chapter 15. It's a familiar passage to all of us, Luke chapter 15. 
Here Jesus begins with one story of a shepherd who lost one sheep out of a hundred. Ninety-nine are safe, one is missing. The third story he tells is the most famous of all, the story of the prodigal son who goes missing, who goes on a distant journey. But the middle story is what I want to focus your attention on here today in verses 8 to 10 of Luke chapter 15. Because this story is as short and concise as it is, I believe really describes for us God the Father's love for each one of us. Listen to this. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you that there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Here we see a picture of God's value of us. You see, God values you and me so much that he spared nothing in his search for you. He gathered the greatest search party that has ever been formed in the history of the world to find you. He sent his word. He sent his prophets. He sent his Holy Spirit. And finally, he sent his only son to seek and to save that which was lost. And as the Lord Jesus told Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. I don't believe that in this life we will ever truly grasp how deep, how thorough, and how costly his search was for us. How much it truly cost him to seek and to save that which was lost. Let me tell you that if you're here today and you can say that you have been found by Jesus, that wasn't just chance. That wasn't just blind luck or happenstance. No, this was coordinated by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords from the foundation of time that you would be found by Him. He orchestrated everything in advance so that you could be saved, that you could be found by Him, and that He could celebrate in the presence of the angels of glory. That one sinner has come to repentance. If that describes you today, isn't that incredible to think God values you This much. He could have said, Yeah, forget about them. Let's start over. But no, he said, I am going to do everything in my power. Think about that. God says, I'm going to do everything in my power. How much power does God have? Infinite power. Only thing that matches his infinite power is his infinite love. Because he loves us that much that he sought us out. Just like that woman who lost one coin and she searched throughout the night. She said, I'm going to sacrifice sleep. I'm going to light my lamp and I'm going to search and search and search until I find this and I'm not going to quit. And when she found it, she celebrated. And so too, that is what God does with us. We belong to him today because he orchestrated it. He sought us out. You are his because he never gave up his search until he found you. Listen to Romans chapter 8 and verse 32. Just consider this verse. It's, it's powerful. Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son. Let that sink in for a moment. He who did not spare his own son. Wow. If you were to hang your life in the balance 
of value between you and Jesus Christ, the only begotten of the Father, which one do you think would, would hold more weight if you were to value your life next to the Lord Jesus? And yet God hung the life of his only begotten in the balance between you, and he said, I will not even spare my own son, but I will send him, listen to the next part of this verse, but gave him for us. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If he did not spare his own son, but gave him for us all, the next logical step is, if he values us that much, what else could he possibly keep from us? He already gave us his most precious gift that we could ever fathom. So what is he going to hold back from you now? Is he going to say, I've already given you my val- the most valuable thing, my only begotten, but I'm going to hold something else back from you? No. Absolutely not. He will most graciously give us all things. So let me tell you today that if you're feeling depressed about your standing, your self-esteem, if you're feeling down on yourself, like you're not worth anything, or that somehow God values you less because you're struggling, if you feel as though your, your worth before Him has somehow diminished because you still have sin that you're battling in your life, let me tell you, that does not play into the equation as to how much God values you. God's value, his, his viewpoint of you does not change simply because you have stumbled or that you are battling or struggling with something in your life right now. Because if he values you enough to send his son to die for you while you are still a sinner, how much more isn't he going to continue to love you and value you now that you are redeemed and his child, that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life? How much does he truly value you? You know, I want you to think about this for a moment. If you are here today and you know the Lord Jesus, you have been adopted as heirs of the Lord God. If that is you, if you are in that place, I want you to know that God rejoices over you. God rejoices over you. He delights in you. You ever thought about God rejoicing over you? God delighting in you? Not because of how good or successful you are, but simply because you are his. You are his child, and you belong to him. There's a great verse from the book of Zephaniah, one of the Old Testament prophets. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, describes this, of how God delights over Israel. And I believe that this, by extension, is a description of how he delights over you and I. Listen to this. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. If you like underlining verses in your Bible, I highly recommend you underline this and meditate on this verse. Listen to this. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. What an amazing description of what God is doing for each one of us. He is a mighty Savior. He is delighting in us with gladness. And with His love, He calms our fears. And not only that, He is rejoicing over us with singing. You ever thought about God's singing? (laughs) What would God's voice sound like? God rejoicing over us with singing. Incredible. Let me ask you, how many of you who are parents here today, when your children were young, Some of you may currently be in this situation as Leanne and I are, but 
Some of you are maybe a little bit further on in that journey, but as you think back, I want to ask you, how many times when your, when your child was, was young, just an infant stage, that before you went to bed, you, you went to their crib, and they're lying there sleeping peacefully, and right now I'm just so blessed that this is a regular occurrence in my life right now. And uh, you just go to that crib, and you look at them sleeping there peacefully, and you're just these feelings come over you, and they're hard to describe. You know, if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. You, you can't quite put it into words, but I think it would be safe to say that as I look down at, at little Theodore when he's sleeping there in the crib, when he's finally sleeping there in the crib, I think it would be a good description to say that I delight in him. You know, I rejoice over him. You know, I, I, I love singing him bedtime songs. You know, th- there's something inside of me that just is so precious. And it's not because right now he can do anything in return for me. In fact, I'm suspecting it'll be many years before he's really able to give me anything back. And yet it's not about what he can do in return for me. The reason I delight in him and rejoice over him is because he's mine. He's my son. He bears my name. And there's something profound in that. There's something that I believe gives us a small glimpse into the heart of our Father. That He is is not a God who looks on us with judgment and condemnation and and waiting for us to, to make a mistake so He can smack us. No, He is a Father. He has a Father's heart greater than my heart could ever be. Because as little as I understand delighting in a child, how much more doesn't God delight in His children? How much more doesn't God rejoice over us with singing? This is the Father's heart. This is how he views us. So today, if you're feeling like God doesn't value you, or you're not worth his time, or you're just going to give up and hopefully, you know, that God will overlook all your failures in your life, and you're just going to kind of trudge along, forget about all of that. That negative thinking, that doesn't belong in God's kingdom. His children don't need to dwell there. They don't need to stay in a place of self-loathing. When God says, you are my child... And I am putting you as a co-heir with my only begotten, the Lord Jesus Christ. That everything I am giving him, I am giving to you. His inheritance is your inheritance. Think about that for a moment. And then say that you're useless or you have no value. No, you are incredibly valuable. Because the Lord God himself has assigned your value. And he has shown us what you are worth to him. So today, remember... That he began his good work in you because of his great love for us. This brings us to the middle. The middle of the story. This is where God continues his good work in you and I. You see, we are a work in progress. We are a project that God is continuously working on. And the, the fact of this is that we will never be fully complete until Christ returns or we go to meet him face to face. Now, for those of you that don't like projects that don't get finished right now, this idea is difficult to accept. That as long as we're in this life, there is more work to be done. You know, if you're a person who everything needs to be done yesterday, this might be especially irritating for you. But this idea is firmly ingrained in Scripture. That God is continuing His good work in us. And as we saw in our key verse, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on. He will continue that work 
until the day of completion. See, that day is still in the future. And so here we are in the middle. God is still working. He's still working on us. I want to share with you a story of a farmer. Just for fun, we'll say it's Farmer Fred. So Farmer Fred is returning home one day from the market where he had purchased seeds for his farm. So as he's returning home, one of the squash seeds that he had purchased fell from his pocket onto the ground. It just so happened that within a few feet from the squash seed that fell on the ground was another type of seed. The place where the two seeds lay was fertile soil, and so both of them took root. After about a week, the squash seed showed signs of growth. The second seed showed no signs whatsoever. After two weeks, the squash began to sprout leaves. The second seed continued to show no sign of growth. After seven weeks, the squash began to show fruit. The second seed still showed no progress. Four more weeks came and went. The squash plant reached the end of its life, bearing much fruit in that time. But the other seed, at the very end of the squash's life, finally had the smallest little green sprout show from the ground. Many years later, that squash was long forgotten, but the other tiny seed was an acorn, and it had grown into a mighty oak tree. You see, many people want their spiritual lives to be like that squash. We want it to spring up as fast as humanly possible. We want it to just flourish and grow immediately. We want fruit like that today. We want to experience it all. But Isaiah chapter 61 verse 3 gives this description of those who follow God. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. What a description. They will be called oaks of righteousness. Let me just ask you, have you ever heard of a squash of righteousness? (laughs) Anyone? You ever been compared to a squash before? Well, maybe you have, and I don't want to go there. You know, but there's a reason why we don't use these metaphors as we talk about growing in God. Because a squash, while it may grow quickly, is not going to last very long. And I'm sorry, but whatever casseroles you make out of it just aren't that great. I'm sorry. (laughs) You know, squashes of righteousness. Yes, you know, there's that idea of, of a seed springing up quickly. But Jesus, even in his parable, talked about that seed that sprung up quickly, but it had no roots. And so when the trials of the sun came, it withered and died away. But it was the seed that's roots went deep. And like the oak tree, the roots must go deep, and it takes a long time. But in the end, it will last. It has substance. It can handle the storms of life. And so what would we rather be, a squash or an oak tree? If you say you want to be an oak tree, then you're saying you must be willing to be patient. You must be willing to wait on God because He is the one who is doing the work and we must wait on Him to do His work in us. And as we grow, we will mature and we will have the strength to withstand the trials of this life. Not only that, but one of the things we must remember is that God is preparing us not just for the immediate circumstances of this life, God is preparing us to stand the test of time. Let me just give you the key right now. When it comes to allowing God to change us, when it comes to allowing God to change you, to mold you, to use you, 
you probably already know that many times it is painful. Many times this middle part of the story, this middle ground between the beginning and the end is filled with tough stuff. But do you believe this? Because this is what I believe. This is what scripture shows us. That the tough stuff of life, when we're walking with God, is always worth it in the long run. Let me share with you a story of a man named Guston Borglum. And Guston Borglum was a great sculptor, one of the best sculptors of his era. And one of his most famous works is the head of Abraham Lincoln, which stands today in Washington, D.C. He had cut it out from a large square block of stone, and it stood in his studio. One day when the face of Lincoln was just becoming recognizable in the stone, after hours and countless hours of careful chiseling, as it came to the stage of just beginning to take shape that you could recognize who it was, a young girl happened to visit the studio together with her parents. And as she looked at the half-done face of Abraham Lincoln, her, her young eyes registered wonder and astonish, astonishment. And she stared at this piece for a moment and then ran to the sculptor, excited. And she asked, is that Abraham Lincoln? Well, yes, it is, he replied, happy that the little girl could recognize who he was supposed to be working on. And then the little girl said, well, how in the world did you know that he was in that block of stone? How did he know that he was in there? You see, the artist's eye could see something that had not yet taken form, but he saw its potential. He saw it was in there. And so carefully, chip by chip, he brought out that likeness of Abraham Lincoln. And in a very similar way, God sees the finished product in us. He knows what the end result of our lives will look like. And so we must continue to welcome God to chisel away on us. Because when we remember that God loves us, then we remember as well that we can trust that whatever difficulties that He allows to come our way in this life, He is using them to shape us more and more into the person that He wants us to be. He is the craftsman, and He sees what the finished, completed version of us will look like. Can you remember, as you look back on your life, some of the things that God has chiseled away in your life? Chiseled away that little by little you begin to bear more and more the image of the one he is using as our copy, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, as you look back, you can probably remember that there were some times of discipline, some tough lessons, and yet you grew and were shaped because of them. You know, I can remember more of those than on the positive side, and yet so often that's how God works. Sometimes it's the difficult things in life where we grow the most, where he shapes us the most. And so here we are in the land in the middle. And the reality is he is still working on us. He is still working on me. And so don't be fooled. Don't ever be fooled into believing that you've come far enough. Or that the plateau you may be currently enjoying in your spiritual walk is as far as God can take you. Remember that when you become a Christian, there's no such thing as just camping right inside the pearly gates and just staying there for the rest of your life. No, you see... When we begin the journey with Jesus, we must continue the journey. Because if we don't keep climbing, and if we decide to set up camp on some plateau along the way, then what happens is we will grow stagnant in our faith. 
We will become ineffective in our service. And sadly, many who stay there long enough end up falling away from the faith entirely. So don't be content to stay where you are. Remember that God is still working on us. He is still shaping us. There is still higher ground to attain. And so welcome that work. Welcome the Holy Spirit of God to continue to work in you. Because here's the thing. If you're still alive, if there's still breath in your lungs and your heart is still beating in your chest, then chances are there's still more work that God wants to do in you. Do you believe that? If you're still alive, God wants to do more in your life. God wants to take you to higher ground. He wants to show you greater things. He still wants to use you in greater ways to glorify his name. So let's allow him to do his work. Let's welcome that work. Because he is the master craftsman. We belong to him. And this leads us to the end. We've gone through the beginning, we've gone through the middle, and now we come to the end. And we read this verse again that finishes with this. We can be confident of this. I love this verse. Being confident of this. This isn't something that Paul says, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful I'm 97% you know, certain of this. No, he says, I am confident. If he put it into percentage, he would say, I'm 100% confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on into the day of completion in the Lord Jesus Christ. We can be confident of this. God will finish what he started. You see, if God is the one who began the good work in you, then he is the one who can continue his good work in you, and he will be the one to finish his good work in you because God always finished, finishes what he starts and so today if you are feeling like an unfinished project the most important thing that you need to ask yourself today is has God begun his good work in me have I given my life to Jesus have I received his salvation then if the answer is yes then you can be confident that he is continuing his good work and he will complete it In Philippians chapter 1 and verses 9 to 11, the last part of our passage, Paul writes this, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best, and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This was Paul's prayer for the church of Philippi, and it is my prayer for the church of Killarney today. You see, though we will never reach full completion until the day of Jesus Christ, the day that we meet him face to face, God wants us to keep pushing, keep striving, pressing on closer and closer to that day. He doesn't want us to just sit here and say, well, there's nothing I can do. No, he wants us to continue to welcome his work, to be cultivated and shaped more and more into his image. That love would abound in our lives. And he wants us to be so filled with the fruits of righteousness that they're just like spilling out of our ears. We just can't contain them. Because more and more he is filling us up. And he prays for these things, not just that we would have them in heaven someday. You know, that once we get there, that then we'll have the fruits of righteousness. No, he prays them for right now, today. And he prays them for the church of Philippi. And I believe that that is God's prayer and my prayer for us as a church today. You see, God doesn't want us to wait until we get to heaven to start acting like citizens of heaven. 
If you think that you're going to wait until you see the pearly gates before you start acting like a citizen of that, of that country, of that kingdom, I think we've waited too long. Because God wants us to begin living like citizens of heaven right here, right now, today. Listen to what Paul says later on in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. My friends, that is the day of completion. If there's things about your body right now that you don't like, if you've got things going on, anxiety, depression, if you've got a bad heart, if you've got high blood pressure, if you've got achy joints and knees and whatever else is going on, if you wish you had a little more hair on the top of your head, you know, like all of those sorts of things. They're not going to stay that way forever because God says that one day soon, that day of completion is coming when we will be just like Jesus in every way. Amazing, incredible. How awesome is that? You know, that day is going to be incredible. He will make everything new, he says, including us. There's a great story I want to share with you of this 19th century Polish rabbi. And astonished to see that the rabbi's home was only a simple room filled with books, this visitor who was just coming through, he, he asked him this question when he looked at his per- permanent residence that was so bare hardly anything in it. And he asked him this question, Rabbi, where is your furniture? Where is yours? replied the rabbi. Mine, asked the puzzled visitor. I'm just a guest here. I'm only passing through. And to which the rabbi replied, so am I. I'm only passing through. Are we living lives with that kind of a song in our heart, that kind of an attitude? We're only passing through this life. It's not my home. We're only in the middle, the end, the day of completion, our home in heaven, is maybe right around the corner. Are we living with that kind of an attitude? He is making us, he is molding us more and more into his image every single day with a day of completion firmly in mind. Let me close with this passage from Revelation 21. This is that day that John saw in his revelation, verses 5 to 7. He who is seated on the throne said this, Behold, I am making everything new. And then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God and they will be my children. I love those three little words. It is done. Does that echo anything that we remember? The words of our Lord Jesus when he said, it is finished. And one day, he is going to say, it is done. The final chapter has been written. All things are being made new, complete, perfect, in every way, including us. What a day that is going to be. And so this morning, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you today. Do you want to be challenged? you want to hear a challenge? Let me give one to you. In your own spiritual life, in your own spiritual life, in your faith journey, maybe you're in a position where you haven't, 
where you haven't yet said, Lord, I want to welcome every last change you want to make in me. Where you haven't yet said, Lord, I yield everything to you. Everything. You're the craftsman. Chisel away. My life is open completely, entirely to you. You've begun this journey. But you're still resisting. You're still fighting back against what he wants to do in your life. And maybe today's the day where you need to open your heart completely and say, Lord, whatever you want, whatever it takes, do it. Make me, mold me into your image. Maybe we need to take that step. And maybe God is speaking to your heart about that today. Maybe there's some of you here today who realize you haven't yet begun this journey. Or you haven't yet taken that first step to receive the Lord's forgiveness through His Son, the Lord Jesus. Maybe today's the day you begin that journey. And maybe for the rest of us who are in the middle of this journey, let me challenge you to ask God to take you further. Take you higher. Take you deeper into understanding Him. Maybe we need to realize that we've just plateaued and we're just inside the gate and we need to repent of that attitude and say, Lord, forgive me for just receiving salvation and going no further. Keep me moving, Lord. And if you're in the middle but you're nearing the end and you know the journey is coming close to the end, I want to encourage you, finish strong. Finish well. You know, if God has called us to live a life for Him, shouldn't we give Him every single day? And so today, know that God is not done working in you. He is going to finish what he started. He's going to finish what he started in this church as well. That God is not done working in this church. He is not done with Bay Avenue. He still has greater things in store. I believe that firmly. And God will continue to do his molding, his shaping here as well. As he works in us, he works in his body, the church. So put away your doubts. Put away your fears. Those things have no place for a child of God. Stand in his truth, live by faith, and believe and genuinely be excited about what God has yet to do in shaping your life more into his image. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for your work in my life. Thank you for chiseling away even when it hurt. And Lord, I just want to pray this prayer on behalf of everyone here today. Lord, we open our hearts to you and we say, Lord, have your way. Here we are. We're completely open. What do you want to do? Have your way, Lord. If there's anything that needs to be removed from our lives, remove it, Lord. If there's anything that needs to be redirected and shaped, Lord, just keep chiseling away on us, Lord. Don't quit. Don't stop. Give us an open heart to welcome what you want to do. Oh, Holy Spirit, have your way in us. Fill us up that we may have fruit that will last. Not just like that squash that's just temporary and that it springs up and withers away, Lord. We want to be like oaks of righteousness. That the fruit of our lives will last, not just for the here and now, but for eternity. And that, Lord, someday we will meet you face to face and you'll say, well done. Well done. You ran the race. You didn't quit. You kept going. You persevered. And here we are on the day of completion. Well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, Lord, we look forward to that day of completion. And we pray, oh, Lord Jesus, that you would hasten that day. That, oh, Lord, that you would come quickly. And we pray, Lord, that until that day that we meet you face to face, we would be faithful. That we would be dedicated and that we would be filled with the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We pray that you would fill this church with that fruit, Lord. 
And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to bring those who are being saved into your kingdom, that we could rejoice with the angels. We pray, Lord, that our witness and our light for you would not grow dim, but that it would grow all the brighter. Bless each one here today, Lord, in Jesus' name.